came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Here's Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. We have Dr. Peter Michalos. How are we going to live longer? Mario Economo on the update of what's going on in Europe. John Chachis, San Francisco, still falling apart. Gordon Chang on what's going on in the Far East. And uh, Ty McCoy, a former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force, give us an update on what our military going with. And let's start with William Parker, 30 years with the Navy. What the heck is going on? We're building our Navy or we're not building our Navy. With us today is Dr. William J. Parker. He was uh, president of the East-West Institute that uh, promotes peace all over the world. He was 30 years in the Navy. In addition, now he uh, is the CEO of Parker Maritime Technologies that's trying to make uh, Navy ships and and, uh, and ships in general more efficient. Well, good morning, uh, Dr. Parker. How are you today? John, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on your show. Always a pleasure. Uh, Dr. Parker, uh, you were in the Navy for 30 years. You're one knowledgeable guy. You're working in in shipping right now. Uh, Tell us, what the heck is going on between the American Navy and the Chinese Navy? Uh, I've been told that China is moving at lightning speed to outdo us. Well, not only are they moving at lightning speed to outdo us, but they they are outdoing us. Uh, They're outbuilding us now. They're outmanning us right now. And we warned about this, uh, John, on your show about eight, nine years ago. Uh, you and I had a long conversation about this. And the reality is that if we don't start building ships at a faster rate now and new ships, we would be uh, the second largest Navy instead of the largest Navy. And that's, in fact, what's happened. But more importantly, or just as importantly as the Navy's numbers, is the fact that the commercial shipping is building significantly in China as opposed to in the United States. And we have to get back to being having the capability to build these ships, to repair these ships in the United States, not just for time of war, but for the economic impact that it has today. Remember that 40% of the shipping that moves around the globe, that moves cargo, goes between the Taiwan and uh, China itself. And 60% of all of that, if you include that, that goes through the Strait of Malacca. So it's significant that they have all this extra buildup in capability. I know you're a Navy man, but are they doing the same thing to the Air Force? Are they doing the same thing to Space Force and to uh, our armies? Uh, are, they, are they really moving? And I know I had Admiral Stavridis on a few uh, uh, weeks ago, and he is afraid that they're moving so fast that at a certain point, they're going to start to challenge us. Uh, I think they already are challenging us. You only need to look at what they've said recently to their fishing industry, that you can now fish anywhere you want in the world, and you have the Chinese Navy behind you to support that. So just go ahead and fish, and we'll deal with the rest of it. They are moving extremely fast, and they're being smart about it. For instance, when they build all their commercial cargo ships, they have to. These are the commercial civilian ships. They have to meet military standards. So in time of war, 
They can move tanks off of them. They can move ammunitions, explosives, et cetera. So they're building their entire country around going to war if they need to. And we're not doing that. So I think they've been smart about it for a long time. And, and we need to now play catch up and we need to start cranking out numbers. But you're right. It's not just the Navy. It's also the Air Force, the Army, et cetera. I look at the Navy because 90 percent by volume, 85 percent by value of all the world's good moved by ship. And so we have got to get going with our technology in general and our capability to build. Let's talk about the world. There's been so many hotspots in the world. You see any progress at all in uh, the Ukraine? Not good. You know, Odessa was just bombed. Uh, you lost about 40,000 tons of grain. Uh, that's a significant impact to not just not just Ukraine, but the world where that was going to go to. A lot of it going to Africa, some of it going to Israel, et cetera. So the bombing of that port, which is an absolutely gorgeous port, have been there many times, is sad. In addition to that, you have this discussion about peace talks, but those peace talks don't include one of the main players. So the Saudis, the Indians, et cetera, they're getting together to do peace talks, but the, but the Russians aren't involved in it. So is that really a peace talk or is that just a way to complain? I don't know, but it doesn't seem like a, a good move forward. Other parts of the world, you know, we know that the ISIL or former ISIS uh, was was killed back in April. They've now named a new um, a new leader, and nobody's talking about what's going on in Afghanistan. But I assure you, the Taliban are building a significant capability right now because they're going unchecked because there's nobody there to check them anymore. I, I am very very much concerned. Some of the picks that President Biden has made for leadership in our uh, uh, cabinet and leadership in our Army, Navy, uh, etc., is something to be concerned about. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but somebody had said. Well, you know, I, I think it's a very solid thing to say. And, and the reality is we have a great country. We have a lot of amazing people here. And we need to just pick the best. And who those best are, just pick those and what they look like, who they sleep with who they pray to, that's their business, as long as we're picking the very best people and not trying to balance it in some other way. So I think that we need to go back to focusing on the common sense approach to leadership, which is find the best people, find the most ethical, moral, capable people that are true patriots and put them in these positions and things will change pretty quickly. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Uh, William Parker. Anything, we've got a minute left. You got anything else you want to tell the American people? Well, I, I, I think that uh, in, in closing, I would just say that it's time for the nation's leadership to go back and, and really look at what 90, 95% of the population of the United States wants, which is balanced leadership, leadership that isn't far right or far left, but actually looks at how to ensure the safety, security, and better economic stability of our country. And when we get to that point, I think we will start moving ahead. If we don't do that, we could lose this country. And we need to be very careful about this right now. It happened to Venezuela, and I'm worried about our country. Thank you so yes, much. Sir, uh, thank you so much, Dr. William Parker. And keep fighting, and we're fighting for our kids and our grandkids. That's what we're fighting for right now. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thanks again for having you me too. on. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos on how do we live longer? Peter Michalos is our in-house genius that specializes in science, history, and a few other things, medicine. 
Dr. Peter, uh, tell us, uh, where, where are we going to this week? Well, today we're going to basically summarize some of the uh, things that have happened. Today I'm going to call it Lessons Learned from COVID. And we're noticing an uptick around the New York City area, around the country, and around the world of COVID cases starting to uptick. The good news is there aren't as many hospitalizations and deaths as we initially saw with the initial variants that were quite bad. But what we're noticing is that about 46 and 100,000 cases in the New York City area are being seen. And um, so noticing that the uh, hospitalizations have also trended slightly upward, but still not that bad. And when I talk about lessons learned from COVID, right now we're in a different place because we do have antiviral treatments. You know, they all, everything has side effects and they're not perfect, but we do have malnupiravir, we do have the Paxlovid available. So we do have something if given early to slow down viral replication. Another interesting thing that came out was if you go to uh, PubMed, there was a major review of the literature, for example, with hydroxychloroquine, and a lot of the studies that they found were initially thought that it did not work at all because they were giving it to people two to three weeks later. And then the studies, when they looked at it in people that they gave it the first two or three days, that it did help block the cytokine storm. So it is an anti-inflammatory that's been around for a while, and it does. it was shown in other studies around the entire world when they looked at hundreds of studies that if given the first three days, like many other things like Tamiflu, if you give it the first two, three days, it works. Well, when things are more advanced, it's a little harder to treat. And we learned that you don't die from the COVID virus, you die from your own body attacking the virus, generating the inflammation, the fluid in the lungs, and that's how people ended up on ventilators. We found out other interesting things like the vitamin D levels, that they turned out that the people with vitamin D levels 50 and up were less likely to have severe COVID, which was very interesting. And that might explain why in some parts of the world where it was very sunny and people had high vitamin D levels, that they fared better than some of the areas that didn't. Another interesting thing is a common diabetes medicine called metformin. Those people who are on metformin, the prestigious Lancet Journal, the infectious disease section, published that 40% less chance of getting long-haul COVID if you're on metformin. And in other studies, they showed that people on the common diabetes drug metformin were less likely to end up in the ICU, even though they might have been diabetic or overweight. So all this stuff coming out is uh, very interesting, and we're learning much more about it. We also learned our, as a country that our supply chain is national security and that we need to be making our own medicines, our own products, our own drugs, as we just learned the other day that they uh, put a tariff, for example, on uh, semiconductors coming from uh, China until then the Chinese said, okay, fine, and we're going to stop supplying the rare earth minerals. And then and you could then you couldn't even make those chips anymore because without those rare earth minerals and they're the biggest producer of rare earth minerals in the world so you know supply chain issues being national security was a lesson learned from covid and also our hospitals need to be uh, better prepared we need to take care of the nurses the doctors make sure that we're training people to take care of the uh, baby boomers and the future generations doctor i mean i, I let you talk uh, how uh, uh, some of the vaccines are out, and uh, some of them have a, uh, gotten a bad reputation as far as uh, possibly uh, causing blood clots. And we know, me and you have a lot of friends that had blood clot problems. Uh, how does that help? How does that knowledge in the future help us prevent those side effects? 
Well, I think that all vaccines, if you look at them, have a certain percentage of side effects. Thank God the side effects are relatively small, but that all needs to be looked at because it does appear there was a study in Ireland by the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland that showed that the spike protein in COVID initiates the clotting cascade. So it does make sense. And initially, I, you know, some doctors, when I told them I started hearing about uh, cases of eye clots, ischemic optic neuropathy, and vein occlusions, and they said, oh, no, it has nothing to do with COVID. But now the publications are coming out, you know, left and right. So I think the spike protein from COVID itself is worse. And yes, the vaccine is designed to make a spike protein. So there are going to be some side effects. But, you know, overall, we have to look at how many lives were saved. But like with any medicine, there'd be side effects. If aspirin were to come out today, John, guess what? It would be prescription if people knew that it was a powerful blood thinner, that it can cause peptic ulcer disease and high doses of its interactions of other uh, issues. For example, if it's given to children, there's a Stephen Johnson syndrome. So everything has side effects, and that's why you need to talk to your doctor, consult with your physician, and discuss whether the vaccine is appropriate for you, if it's going to be something annual. None of this has been determined because there's so much data being collected right now and hopefully now with you know these mega computers that we have and we can look at all analyze the data we'll have better answers to give people advice and doctors on the front line advice on how to advise their patients to move forward but nothing is without side effects anything else going on that uh, that may come up well, I, I think right now uh, one of the things is I just tell people because we're having a lot of wildfires and there's been a lot of air pollution and air quality issues, I advise people with uh, lung problems, pre-existing conditions, asthma, to stay indoors, consider getting a HEPA filter to keep in your room where you sleep and keep the particles in the air lower. I also change the cabin filters on your cars because the last few weeks with these wildfires from Canada and other areas of the world, you know, your car cabin filters also need to be change. So I think that's one thing. Protect your uh, respiratory air and, and consider wearing a mask if there's an active wildfire or if there's an alert that the air quality is poor outside. It's not a bad idea to wear an N95 mask if you have any type of compromised lung situation to stop those particles because our lungs are like a big vacuum cleaner. Dr. Peter Mihalos, have a great weekend and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Mario Economo. He gives us a review on Europe uh, every few weeks. Uh, Mario, uh, tell us, uh, is there any update what's going on in Europe uh, with uh, the economy, with the weather, with what the heck is going on? Tell us. Good morning, uh, Cats Roundtable. So let's start off with something today that affected the U.S. and specifically that of the recent downgrade by Fitch of the U.S. debt. This is a very interesting and negative thing, in my opinion. The reason I say it's negative, even though many people are shrugging their shoulders and saying it's really not that big a deal, it in fact is, because if it wasn't a big deal and if, it, uh, if there was no importance to something being downgraded, then the downgrade wouldn't exist. Now, the fact that this downgrade has happened, apart from the fact that it's going to actually have a negative impact on the local economy in the U.S. because it's going to make borrowing costs higher for many companies, which of course will pass that on to the consumer. It's also interesting to point out the impact that it's going to have on Europe. Uh, let's not forget that Europe is relying on the U.S. at the moment for 100% of its defense against any potential Russian aggression. 
So when uh, the European economies, and specifically three, Germany, Holland, and Luxembourg, have AAA ratings and the U.S. rating is below that rating, it's interesting to see how they're going to feel about their defense being extended, their protection rather, being extended to the umbrella of U.S. defense. Personally, I'm not sure how you can actually downgrade the U.S. and keep Germany at a AAA rating, especially when Germany is not in control of both its fiscal policy as well as its monetary policy. As we all know, Germany's monetary policy is dictated by the European Central Bank. So I don't think the uh, downgrade makes sense. It is negative, and it will be interesting to see how the Europeans react. Ideally, the Europeans should react with some form of leadership, but we're not seeing that in Europe at the moment. And the only person who did show some signs of leadership in the European Union was President Macron of France, but he's mired in his own problems politically at home, as well as we've now seen in the Sahel in Africa, where many countries are actually pulling back from France. And recently we saw a coup in the country of Niger, where the people and the government is demanding that France leave, it vacates uh, the country with its military forces, and they are actually welcoming with open arms the Russians. So I think the downgrade in the U.S. is an unfortunate event, and it's going to play out. There will be a negative impact. I'm not sure what it's going to be over the, the longer term in Europe, but I think that as a European, it does concern me, if I'm looking to the U.S. for my defense, that the country's debt rating has been downgraded. Well, again, I'm not sure how significant that is. Uh, if you didn't own U.S. dollars, what would you like to own? And uh, that's the, the, what, I, what I look at. And uh, anybody with significant moving money around, I mean, I'm, I don't want to own yen. I really don't want to own German uh, euros. Uh, I mean, what would you want? Well, I think the combination, I think the combination, I mean, what we're seeing, what's happening in the commercial real estate market in the U.S. is not good right now, and that's being driven by the high interest rate, another unfortunate uh, event. But if we consider the fact that the U.S. has also been downgraded, and now let's assume you are someone who's sitting in Europe, and you're actually looking to invest in something in the U.S. on the commercial real estate front, this downgrade will actually increase your borrowing costs. It will inc- increase your carrying costs. So... I'm not sure it's not, going to have, uh, it's not going to have any impact whatsoever on investment decisions. I think it's something we're going to have to wait and see. But uh, let's move on now to a couple of other things. Uh, and specifically, last week uh, we saw there was a Russia's National Navy Day, wherein uh, President Putin did announce the building of another 10 of uh, his Russia's state-of-the-art frigates, the ones which carry the hypersonic missiles. I thought that that was an interesting announcement for him to make. Clearly the country, Russia, is putting a lot of money in the production of various defense systems, whether it's ships or planes or missiles, they're continuing to develop and build at a time when everybody thought they didn't have the money or the access to capital to do that. We also know that the English are training the Ukrainian army so that they're part of the counteroffensive in December will be the ability to retake the Crimea. Now, this is interesting because this flies in the face of an article, I believe it was in the New York Times, which is saying that many of the Ukrainian troops that have been trained by the West, uh, by the U.S., by Britain, are failing on the battlefield. And therefore, the Ukrainian troops themselves are now resorting to other approaches, 
more traditional approaches to, with respect to how they're used to fighting wars to try and, and to, uh, uh, to turn the tide with respect to this counteroffensive, which has stalled. And I say the counteroffensive has stalled because if we look at the three lines of Russian defense in the Donbass, the Ukrainians at this point have failed to even breach the first line. So well, the truth, clearly, is, the truth is we don't really know what the truth is. Uh, no, the the truth is they haven't breached the uh, the outermost uh, third line of the Russian defense. Yeah. So if, if they do breach the third line, they're going to have to go through the second and the first line. And and, and don't forget, with lines, the price of oil being eighty dollars, Russia has all the money they need to 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 uh, wage a war. So by not opening up the spigots in the United States and lowering the price of oil, we're making Russia richer and the ability to wage war. Uh, well, again, that's not something that Europe can control. That's only something you folks in America can control uh, and can decide on with respect to policy and who you want in your White House and in your government there. we got a minute um, left, uh, Mario. What do you want to tell the American people? Let's just touch on one more thing, and, the, and that is specifically that President Erdogan of Turkey has asked President Putin to reconsider and rejoin the wheat deal, to which, of course, President Putin has said he will not join. President Putin has also not given President Erdogan of Turkey a date for his visit. There was a visit that was supposed to happen by President Putin to, uh, to Turkey. That visit now is essentially on hold, and it is believed uh, it's on hold because President Putin has not forgiven President Erdogan for releasing those five Azov Battalion uh, POWs that uh, were in Turkey uh, back to the Ukraine. And one more thing we know, there was supposed to be a visit by Egyptian President al-Sisi to President Erdogan in Turkey, and President al-Sisi has canceled that visit to Turkey. He cited President Erdogan's close ties to the Palestinians, but many people suspect it also has to do with the fact that uh, President el-Sisi was in St. Petersburg recently at that uh, conference President Putin had in Russia, and they're saying I that— understood. They're We're out of time. Thank you so much for bringing all Americans up to date, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Okay. Thank you. Enjoy your day. With us today is Victoria Coates. She was the Deputy National Security Advisor in 2019-2020, and uh, she's an expert in uh, uh, Middle East Africa and uh, and uh, so many things going on in Africa in the last uh, few weeks. And we, uh, we American people, need an update. Victoria, t- tell us. There's so many things going on in Africa. The Wagner Group has been accused of being there and and raising the Russian flag. And uh, and, and where do you want to start? Well, I think maybe with a quick a quick geography lesson on radio, John, it's it's hard to have a map. But if your listeners can just think about the Western Sahel, which is the part of Africa down underneath, basically Morocco and Libya. So you're talking about countries like Chad and Burkina Faso, but most importantly, Niger, uh, where we have had a coup over the last couple of days. The the, uh, democratically elected president has been deposed. He's under house arrest. He's still making calls to world leaders, doesn't seem to be in any physical danger, but the military has taken over with, as you say, the support of the Wagner Group, which are uh, very active in Libya and then down into Niger as well. So this is this is a real problem. Anywhere you have, you know, the Wagner Group making making common cause with with a, a local military, which has traditionally been closely aligned with the United States and France, 
that's just not very good for the United States. So Niger may not be familiar to a lot of folks, but it's an important country for the fight against terrorism, which is really metastasized in that region. And it really looks to me like we're losing a very important foothold. When did, did all this start? I mean, uh, the American people, we're, we're, we're hearing about this in the last month or so. And then the Wagner Group's name came up about two weeks ago. Give us a time uh, timeline. Well, unfortunately, political instability in this region is pretty endemic. Both Burkina Faso and Chad and then Mali as well have had coups in recent years. And Mali in particular has become a real stronghold for Wagner, uh, which, as I said, is also very active in, in, in Libya, giving us all sorts of problems there. So this is kind of a, a, a burgeoning problem uh, really since since the fall of Gaddafi in Libya and then the attendant instability in the region. You know, our good ally Morocco is one of the, the key partners in all of this and can do a lot along with Egypt to start to bring some stability uh, to the region. But it's something we're going to have to work with them very carefully to achieve. And unfortunately, the Secretary of State actually paid, I believe, the first visit by uh, an American Secretary of State, this would be Secretary Blinken, just this past March to Niger to express our great support for Niger, our support for its democratic institutions. And to have this happen just three months after Secretary Blinken came through, I think demonstrates how, how weak our position is right now. Are, are people dying, or is it just uh, what's what's act- no, actually it, happening? Yeah, unlike unlike Sudan in eastern Africa, where the conflict is quite bloody, it, it's an armed conflict between two groups in Sudan, and we have had a significant loss of life. Uh, unlike that, the coup in, in Niger seems to be to date re- relatively bloodless. I'm sure there's there's some sporadic violence, but not a ton. But the, the key asset here that we have to keep an eye on is we've, we've built a drone base in Niger that we are using in conjunction with the French for very serious counterterrorism operations. It's our eyes and ears in the region. And, you know, a lot of folks are now very familiar with the capabilities we had in Afghanistan out of the Bagram air base, which we have lost through the quite disastrous surrender of Afghanistan exactly two years ago. Uh, and and that, the kind of vulnerabilities those create. I think the main concern here is that if, if we cannot maintain this drone base, given that we've lost our a- assets in other countries like Mali, we really are going to be literally flying blind in the Western Sahel, and that's, that's not a good thing for the American people. Anything else you want to tell the American people? We have another 30 seconds or so left. <laughs> I think the one other thing to keep in the back of your mind is is – Niger is the seventh largest producer of uranium in the world and a major producer for France, particularly for their civil nuclear program. So France should have a real strong interest here. I think they should probably be taking the lead. But there are a lot of reasons that Americans should also be interested. Thank you so much, Victoria Coates. And thank you. Keep your eyes on it and uh, let us know when uh, there's another report that uh, the American people should know about. Sounds good. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. What is today? The Sunday morning is Gordon G. Chang, and uh, he is going to update us on what the heck is going on in the uh, Far East. 
Gordon, uh, so many things are happening. Where do you want to start? Perhaps we should start with a China story in California. This is just outside Fresno, where state and Fresno County authorities in March raided an unlicensed laboratory. That laboratory was run by a company fronting for Chinese parties. They found at least 20 pathogens there, and they also found about 1,000 mice that had been genetically engineered to spread disease. This was startling. The authorities brought in the CDC and the FBI, and it looks like um, a location where China was going to use to spread disease in, let's say, the weeks or months before a war in Asia. We don't know the details yet, but we know enough to be alarmed, and this is probably not the only facility of this type across the United States. That is mind-boggling. And uh, the FBI has raided the place? Um, it was raided by uh, California and Fresno County authorities. And once they found the contents of this place, they were alarmed and brought in the um, FBI and the CDC. The, the story, how this started, is fascinating because this was supposed to be an abandoned location. Um, a building inspector noticed, however, that a hose was connected to the building, which and that hose should not have been there for some place that should that was told to be abandoned. So they then started poking around it, and they found this lab. So this was just by accident, but it was an alert building inspector that found this location, which looks like a biological weapons lab. Wow. What else should we talk about this uh, nice Sunday morning? Recently, we have learned about an unprecedented purge of officers of the Chinese military's rocket force. The rocket force is the one that controls um, ballistic missiles and nuclear weapons. And both the commander of the rocket force and the political commissar, the two senior officials, were replaced. They were replaced at the same time, John, which is extremely unusual. But what was, what was unprecedented was they were replaced not by rocket force officers, but by a Navy um, officer and an Air Force officer. This looks like a purge, and in very well this could be Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, trying to impose some discipline on the rocket force, which is ominous enough. But we've got to remember that C has been purging senior uh, officers of the Chinese military, of officers who are opposed to going to war. And if that was the case with the rocket force changes, it means that Xi Jinping is threatening or is thinking of threatening of using his nuclear weapons and maybe even using them. So this is uh, particularly ominous. So in other words, he's putting people in place that if he if he told them, press that button, that they're not going to say no? That looks like it. Uh, you know, John, um, right now we don't know and we don't have that much visibility about what's going on. But we do know of what's occurred in the Chinese military this year. And we do know that he has been systematically removing officers who don't want to invade, for instance, Taiwan. We know that China throughout this century, and including under Xi Jinping's rule, have made unprovoked threats to use nuclear weapons. They did that against Tokyo and against Canberra in 2021, and they've been making threats against the United States all the time. So really what we have right now is a military that is in turmoil, and that is certainly not good news, but it's especially going to be bad news if Xi Jinping is able to place in senior positions those who want to go out and kill foreigners. And what I'm concerned about, 
they are distributing their assets, the Chinese assets. Let's say uh, the Communist Party of China uh, wants to have 100 million in assets, 100 million people in assets, uh, attack several different types of ways, whether it's uh, drugs, whether it's uh, our universities, et cetera, et cetera. Not necessarily nuclear war. There's a lot of them to keep track of. Well, certainly, um, because there is an unprecedented surge of Chinese migrants across our southern border. It's believed that a hundred of those migrants every day uh, are uh, males of military age, unattached to family groups. These could very well be the military saboteurs. And also, we know that Border Protection has identified some of these individuals as having known links to the Chinese military. So that connects to the story about the lab near Fresno, uh, and that means that uh, that could be a lab which could be used um, as a base for saboteurs. That you, you, you can, one, one could say, without mentioning any names, is that uh, people allowing people to cross our borders without checks and balances could be considered high crimes and misdemeanor. Yes, um, the Biden administration is doing, from what we can tell, is doing virtually nothing or nothing to track these uh, suspicious Chinese uh, individuals who are crossing our border. Michael Yan, the war correspondent, has been tracking this from the Darien Gap. That's the jungle between Colombia and Panama from which most Chinese migrants have to cross at great risk to themselves, by the way. So there is more than just suspicions that uh, the Chinese military is infiltrating agents at perhaps the rate of 100 a day into the United States. Uh, anything else you want to tell the American people this Sunday morning? We've got a minute left. Uh, Xi Jinping, I think, has an incentive now to do something that could take us by surprise. The Chinese economy is failing, and um, the Communist Party's legitimacy is based on the delivery of prosperity. If he can't deliver prosperity, the only thing he can do to keep the Communist Party and himself in power is to rally the people with a war. Gordon Chang, uh, and your Twitter is at Gordon G. Chang, where you people can keep track of what's going on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you very much. Keep your eyes open, and, and let's pray for uh, our way of life. Pray for peace. Defend America. Thank you so much, John. What is today is Ty McCoy, former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force. And uh, again, so many things happening. Uh, Ty McCoy... Uh, tell us, where do we want to start today? Well, I think we want to start with some of the diplomacy that is taking place. There's a conference coming up in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, with about 40 countries to talk about some terms for a peace conference or a peace uh, settlement between Ukraine and Russia. It looks like it's mainly stacking up uh, to be on the Ukrainian side of things. So there's a lot of positioning going on to see who is going to uh, get some of the terms they want in this particular war without starting a, war, a wider war. I mean, do you think we're getting the truth out of what's really going on over there and what's going on in Russia or or in uh, the Ukraine? I mean, I know Russia is making a ton of money with crude oil being back up to $80 a barrel. And, uh, money is no object with them right now. Well, in some ways, there's no object, but they are having to sell their oil at deep discounts to China and India and trying to find ways to get it to market. And a lot of that Russian oil is going through third parties and then making it into the world market. But 
It is helping them with the higher prices, even though they have to sell at a discount on the black market. I think that their defense budget and their expenditures have gone up so much also that they're beginning to face some some real pressures uh, internally, although the elite are still able to uh, buy goods that are being smuggled in through Kazakhstan and through Georgia, which is turning into a hub of black market uh, goods for the elite. Uh, But the Russians are finding that they are not able to really bring to bear the combat power that they need to make any sort of uh, offensive. They're barely holding on with their defensive position, mainly because of all the preparations and all of the trenches and all of the, the mines and everything that else that they placed uh, during the winter. The Ukrainians are having difficult moving through those obstacles. They don't have the overall combat power that they need. They don't have the deep strike uh, munitions and capabilities yet. Uh, they don't have the air power that they need. They don't have the tanks uh, that they need to breach those defenses. So right now there are probing attacks going on and there's positioning going on by each side trying to show that they have the willpower for a longer war, if need be, which is part of the the setup for negotiations. In the meantime, they're both trying to build their alliances as much as possible, trying to bring in African leaders, which just met up in St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, Not as many of the African leaders showed up as Putin hoped. He was politicking and networking and trying to bring them over to his side, but he didn't do very well. It it ended up being sort of a a bust at his summit with the Russia-African summit, and he got some criticism there. And now he's faced uh, with this large negotiation and discussion going on in Saudi Arabia. Uh, The Chinese have been invited to that discussion. They have not accepted yet. So Putin is trying to hold as many countries as he can on his side. The Ukrainians, of course, are trying to pull everybody over to their side. So in a way, it's a war of uh, alliance building. And in the meantime, the military on both sides is trying to build up their logistics and training and their intelligence on the other side. So it's very difficult to get the truth from either side because, as Sun Tzu said, all war is deception. And so both sides want to not tell uh, all the truth about themselves because they don't want the other side discovering and finding out uh, even the smallest thing about them. And so it's going to make it always difficult in these situations to uh, get the truth from even our allies, in this case the Ukrainians, and uh, because they don't trust anyone uh, to keep the information secret. And, of course, the Russians want to keep putting out disinformation. Even the Ukrainians are going to put out a lot of disinformation, uh, some of which will find its way here in the United States. So we're going to have to be very alert as to both what our adversaries are doing and what our allies are doing, as always. How is the China-Saudi alliance trying to bring in extra people? How is that working out? Last time we talked, uh, they had Brazil, they had Venezuela, a few other countries, and New Zealand was going towards China. What's the latest on all that? Well, the Chinese are finding that their diplomacy is not working as well as they hoped. Uh, Their economy is sort of flatlined a little bit. Uh, The Communist Party trying to take over a lot of their industries and insert themselves have led to economic displacement. The foreign minister, who was a bright, shining star, that was in office for seven months was suddenly disappeared, and they brought back the previous foreign minister that had been in office for 14 years. 
So there were some very unhappy results uh, in the mind of uh, the Chinese President Xi uh, to uh, have that occur because he was like trying to rewrite history. So I think the Chinese feel like their strategy and their diplomacy has failed in the Western Pacific, where we have renewed our ties with Australia, New Zealand, the Solomon Islands, and New Guinea, where we've had a blitz of activity, American diplomacy. So the Chinese are finding that the Saudis and other countries are not so quick to leave the American embrace as maybe they had indicated. And so the Chinese, I think, are finding that uh, going up against uh, their main enemy, as as they uh, call the United States, is not as easy as they thought it would be, and that the old United States is uh, a little quicker on their feet and a little more able to uh, uh, rally and find alliances and bring people uh, to the table uh, more in line with our views than what the Chinese had presumed would happen. Now, we read uh, the, uh, the other day that it looks like the, uh, uh, the priority in the uh, Air Force and our uh, military is to get the, the hypersonic missiles running and possibly uh, using the B-1 bombers. I mean, we do need hypersonic missiles to react to, to the other side. What, what say you on that? Well, indeed we do. We've got to perfect our hypersonic missiles, some that can be air-launched, uh, from aircraft such as the B-1 uh, or the B-52s, which have been worked pretty hard. Some of them are 70 years old, if you can believe it. Uh, some pilots are flying the planes that their fathers used to fly, and yet the B-52s and the others can be re-engined, uh, new engines, and they can be kept going. So there'll be some hypervelocity missiles that will be developed that can be launched from aircraft, some from Navy ships, uh, maybe even some from Navy submarines, uh, some from, from the ground, some for the Army. So the hypervelocity missile family that uh, we're trying to build and other countries are trying to build is very, very important. And also, at the same time that both sides are trying to build this capability for these types of missiles, each side is trying to figure out how to build defenses against these types of missiles, how to, to target, how to detect them, uh, how to to figure out some way to understand where they're going because they can maneuver and flight some of them and also they're coming at you so quick that stopping them is going to be a very very uh, difficult military uh, and intelligence uh, problem and so the uh, offense uh, so to speak is becoming uh, more powerful in in that regard than the ability to defend against this type of weapon, but both sides are very early in the hypervelocity game, so to speak. It's, it's going to be a, a, a very, very important tactic, uh, I guess. Uh, it's hard to stop a hypersonic missile at the speed it's going at. Ty McCoy, thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning, and uh, God bless you and God bless America, and thank you for everything you've done for America and continue to speak out for America. Well, John, thank you. Thanks for the wonderful show that you have and bringing this information to the American people. And God bless you and your wonderful team. And uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that we can prevail with our American uh, valor and our American democracy to uh, bring uh, freedom uh, to as many people uh, as we have done in the past 30 or 40 years with the end of the Cold War.
This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. Let's go to Rhonda McDaniel. She's, of course, the chairwoman of the RNC. Uh, Rhonda, first of all, how many people have made it to the debate stage? And uh, is Trump going to show up or not? (laughs) So those are a lot of great questions. Hey, Rita. Hey, John. You know, right now it looks like eight or nine have made it. I think Mike Pence just put out a release that he's going to make the donor threshold. So, you know, we haven't seen that final criteria. They have 48 hours before the debate to do that. But it's going to be a robust stage. And I I want President Trump to be on the debate stage. You know, this is going to reach an audience of 200 million people. I think it's really important that our party uses this opportunity to get our message out against Joe Biden, because it's not just about the primary. It's also about the general election. And this is our opportunity to contrast what Republicans can do with lowering taxes, with fiscal responsibility, with uh, making sure that our border is secure, with lowering crime, with uh, tackling education. These are things that our party stands for. And we need to take this opportunity in these debates to contrast us with the failures of Joe Biden. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And I I always love the debates. You feel like you learn a lot, especially the sort of like the unscripted moments. I think you always see. But now you mentioned Pence made the um, the donor threshold. There's other thresholds. Does it look like um, does it look like he'll fit the other criteria? And what about the pledge? Has anyone agreed uh, to, to do the famous pledge about supporting whoever the nominee is? Yeah, so it's like a one, two, three punch, right? So the first is they have to get 1% in three national polls. So Pence has absolutely hit that as as well as others. And then there's also the the small dollar donations, which is 40,000 unique donations from small dollar donors. We're not going to be competitive if you can't get small dollar donations. So um, there's eight candidates that have reached that as well. Uh, and once they reach those two criteria, then they sign the pledge. And the pledge is simply this. We call it the Beat Biden Pledge. Pledging to support the will of the voters. If, if at the end of the day you've made your case and you fall short and the primary voters have said, this is who we choose as our nominee, we should all be pledging that the ultimate goal as a, as a Republican uh, Party nominee is to beat Joe Biden. I know. Do you think Joe Biden will be the nominee? Uh, I do. Uh, yeah, I just don't see any. At, first of all, there's a timeline crunch. You know, you're going to have to qualify for these primary ballots in different states. And it's hard in some of these states. And he's changed his whole primary calendar uh, to make South Carolina the first state so that he doesn't have any competition. So I do think he's going to be the nominee uh, right now. And uh, certainly, we're, we're pleased to run against Joe Biden and his failure of a record. We're not glad for the American people, but we're glad to contrast what the Rep- Republicans have done and what we can do for our country versus him. Do you think he'll know he's the nominee? <laughs> Vito- <laughs> well, that's a different question, Rita. That's a totally different question. <laughs> Vito Fisella, you've got a question. Yeah, just for a Rana. quick question. You've been traveling the country. What's on people's minds as you, you know, from county to county across the country? What are people saying on the issues? And the and the election itself. You know, guys, I mean, I, I live in Michigan. I don't live in the D.C. bubble. People are really worried. Their cost of living is skyrocketing. They're paying more for everyday goods from gas to energy to eggs to milk. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in this country. Crime is an issue. Fentanyl is an issue. Uh, people feel a lot of um, anxiety about the state of our country. And what I hear from voters all the time is we have to win. 
we have to win. We, we have to beat Joe Biden. Plus, they see the corruption coming out of uh, the Democrat Party. And, and I think they are really, really concerned about the state of our nation. And they want to make sure that our party unites. They don't want to see us fighting each other. And they want to see us united about saving this country and working together as a party to do so. This is John Katzmatidis. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.